With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Three, two, one. But I've worked out. I love to listen to your podcast. Whenever you say something, other people react to it. Taking my breath away, Aaron. Fern Lundquist joins me. Hall of Famer. Jim Calhoun, NASCAR icon Dale Earnhardt Jr. Kirk Herbstreet is on the phone. Here we Welcome in, yeah. everybody, episode yeah. 318 of the podcast. It is Big America, the Aerator Sports Podcast. It is Thursday, November 12, 2020, people. I hope everybody is having a great week. Uh, and it's been kind of a crazy week, right? So we will obviously open the show by talking about the state of college football. Four SEC games canceled as I record on late Wednesday night. Ohio State is canceled. And what we really have to talk about essentially is the protocols and testing that are in place and really uh, really the contact tracing. I want to get into the contact tracing. I talked a little bit about it on a Monday show. But I do worry about what this means for the – what this week specifically means, I should say, for the rest of the college football season and into college basketball. I don't believe it's good, but I believe it's an important, smart conversation that will make you smarter. I've been talking to a lot of people across both college football and college basketball over the last few weeks. They really are worried about this contact tracing stuff. We will get into the few remaining marquee games this weekend. Uh, Michigan-Wisconsin, which I don't, I don't even think you could call marquee. Uh, Nebraska-Penn State, certainly not marquee. And a couple of the SEC games that are still on the schedule. We will then transition to college hoops, where Greg Marshall, it appears, is finally on the brink of losing his job. And then speaking of college hoops, how about this? One of my favorite guests, one of the most popular guests that I have on this show, Eric Musselman, head coach, University of Arkansas football, joins me on today's Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. And I'll just tell you really quick, you do not have to be an Arkansas fan to appreciate the interview with Coach Muss. Um, We actually really don't even talk about Arkansas. We really talk about this season ahead and the challenges across college basketball, all the things that I've kind of alluded to. It's just a really interesting conversation. I think you guys will enjoy it, but we talk a lot about how college basketball programs are practicing, traveling, uh, excited for the season, but caution. It's, it's just a really fun interview, right? Coach Moss always delivers. It is always fun, and I do think that you guys will enjoy it. All right, before we get to Coach Muss and before we get started, I want to remind you very briefly, make sure that you're subscribed to the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast, iTunes, the Podcast Addict app, Podbean, Spotify, TuneIn Radio, and the reason it's important to be subscribed is because episodes will be delivered straight to your phone when they're available, and I'll just tell you, we got some big guests coming up these next few weeks. I don't want to spoil anything. 
Coach Must today. Next week, I will do an NBA draft preview on Tuesday uh, where I do rerun some interviews from the spring when I had Obi Toppin on the show, Emmanuel Quickly, Mason Jones. So make sure that you're subscribed for that. Uh, also, in addition to subscribing, rate and review helps us move up those iTunes charts. If you're not following on social, now's a good time to do so at Aaron Torres Pod on Instagram. If you search Aaron Torres Podcast, you'll find me there. Uh, and finally, if you're not, uh, or excuse me, if you have any questions for the show, Aaron Torres Podcast Questions at gmail.com. Send me any questions there. Aaron Torres Podcast Questions at gmail.com. All right, people. I don't want to waste any more time because you want to hear Coach Muss. I want to hear Coach Muss. So let's get into the topics of the day before we get to Coach Muss. And look, the big topic of the day, the big topic of the week, I would argue across sports, is the situation and circumstance surrounding college football. I told you on Tuesday's show that, you know, the SEC, frankly, as a league, was on the brink of, frankly, basically essentially missing this whole week. At the time, Sam Pittman had just tested positive for COVID. LSU was having issues. Texas A&M was having issues. And Mississippi State had so many issues that they canceled their game with Auburn on Monday. And since then, uh, the college football scene has only gotten worse. LSU is officially out against Alabama. Way too many positives in that program. Texas A&M had to postpone against Tennessee because of contact tracing. Uh, Missouri, out of nowhere, had to postpone because of contact tracing. So now, Auburn, Mississippi State off the table. Bama, LSU off the table, which is such a disappointment. A&M, Tennessee, Georgia, Missouri, that's four SEC games. And then late Wednesday afternoon, we find out that Ohio State, Maryland, is now off the table. And so it's just a very disappointing week for college football and what I want to talk about is why this is happening and what can we do to avoid similar situations. And I think the answer lies in contact tracing, okay? And before we go any further, I want to make everything abundantly clear that I have, frankly, since June, July, August, when we started talking about what college football season could look like, as well as college basketball as well. I don't claim to have all the answers. I don't claim to be perfect. What I do do, however, what you cannot argue about listening to this show, I talk to people across college sports, I hear their frustrations, I listen to them, I try to contextualize them and give you answers to the questions and answers to why stuff is happening. And what I can tell you definitively, beyond a reasonable doubt, is there is so much frustration with the contact tracing in college sports, okay? And so to backtrack, before we go any further, I want to make that abundantly clear, and I also want to make this abundantly clear. If guys are testing positive for the virus, they shouldn't play, right? Like, like that just makes sense. So a game like LSU-Bama, as disappointing as it was that this game won't be played, LSU has a bunch of positives, and it's not fair to LSU to send sick players out on the field. It's not fair to Bama to then face those sick players. So I'm not saying if somebody is sick, we need to push them out the door and say, go toughen up buttercup and all that kind of stuff. That's not what I'm saying. But what I am saying is that when you look at the broader picture of what is going on in college sports right now, so many of these games are not getting canceled because of positive tests. 
So many of them are being canceled because of contact tracing, and I think that is a major important distinction. Obviously, we know what contact tracing is. I'm not going to get into the details, but essentially, if you're in a confined space with somebody who tests positive for a certain amount of time, uh, we have determined that it is un- that, that there is a risk that you will, of course, come down with the virus, and so because of that, you yourself are now forced to quarantine and are not allowed to participate in athletics. And on the surface level, that's great, right? Like, we don't want to spread the virus. We don't want to get sick. We don't want this. We don't want that. But at some point, it does feel like these contact tracing rules have to loosen up. And maybe they eventually will. Maybe they will uh, in the perspective of if you look at some place like Alabama, where at the very least, Nick Saban, I know it's not contact tracing, but he tested positive, has three straight negatives, is allowed to return. I don't know what the answer is with contact tracing, but what I am telling you is we cannot keep going forward the way that we are with college athletics, with this contact tracing situation, or college sports from now until at least the end of the 2020-2021 calendar year is going to be preposterous. And I'll get into that in a minute, but I do kind of want to reiterate what I'm saying here about contact tracing. Again, to reiterate... I'm not saying if guys are sick, send them out on the field. If LSU has 25 positive cases, they can't field the team, that's different. But I was talking to somebody about contact tracing today on Wednesday, as you guys listen on Thursday morning, and I think what we have to remember, just think about it at the most basic level, because this was what this person told me, and I think it was an important kind of contextual thing. He said, Aaron, just think about it at the most basic level, Okay. We are no longer canceling games because people are sick. And forget even sick. You know, Keep in mind, too, a lot of these kids that are testing positive, they don't even know they have it. They're asymptomatic. But that's not why we're canceling a lot of these games. We're canceling these games not because people are sick, not because they're showing symptoms, but because someone was kind of sort of close to someone else who tested positive. And like, think about it at the most basic level, right? It, like, it reminds me of the Allen Iverson practice rant. We're not talking about a game. We're talking about practice. It's the same with this stuff. We're not talking about a a, a sickness. We're not talking about a hospitalization. We're not talking about, we're talking about a guy that was kind of near a guy who, and it's just like, and that's what we're canceling these games for. Texas A&M, Jimbo Fisher said, as of a day ago, or at least as of Wednesday morning, they had two total positive cases overall. And one of them wasn't even a player. So one player test positive, one, uh, I believe it was a student manager test positive, but because of contact tracing, Texas A&M has to cancel the game, okay? That feels crazy to me, that one person has tested positive, but enough people were around him that they have to cancel a game. Missouri, same thing. One player tested positive, it decimated an, uh, an entire position group with contact tracing, and so because of it, we have to cancel an entire game. Like, just think about it at the most basic level. Missouri has one guy who tests positive, who who even knows if he's showing any symptoms. But because he was probably in a meeting room with, say, the other cornerbacks or the other safeties or the other running backs, now they can't play a game because these guys were near that guy. Not that they tested positive, that they were near that guy. And... I understand that some of you are probably, you know, driving around, shaking your heads, disagreeing. Torres, you don't care about anybody's health. Of course I do. Of course I, I, I wish we lived in a utopian society where nobody ever got sick, nobody ever died, 
Nothing bad ever happened. The sun always shined. It was 70 degrees every day. That is not the world we live in, though. And when I look at the broader perspective of college sports going forward from now until, frankly, March, April, May, under the current contact tracing rules, I don't know how we get anything in. And we'll get games in, but the number of games I don't expect to decrease that are being canceled, right? Like everyone's like, oh, making the jokes about Halloween. And I talked about it and like, oh, it's all because, you know, Halloween happened on campus. Yeah, that's part of it. But you know what else is part of it? It's cold and flu season. It's cold outside. It's in the 30s, 40s, 50s in some places. I'm not going to lie. I didn't check the weather everywhere, but we got a lot of people that listen to this show in Indiana, in Ohio, in uh, Pennsylvania, Nebraska, Kentucky, Tennessee. It, It gets cold where you guys are, okay? I'm in California. It's 40 degrees at night, 55 during the day. Well, guess what? You know what happens when it gets cold? You stay inside. You know what happens when it gets cold? You're around other people indoors. By the way, it is naturally cold and flu season. So when I'm looking at this situation, I don't see how it gets better. I don't see how this gets resolved. I don't see how we keep people from catching a virus and how any of this gets fixed with the current contact tracing rules that are in place. Again, if you're sick, don't play, right? Not fair to the other team. I get it. I'm just saying the contact tracing rules are so above and beyond that something needs to change. And I'm not saying I have all the answers. And I'm not saying maybe instead of 10 days, it should be five. Maybe instead of 10 days, it should be three negative tests. I don't know. What I do know is we cannot keep going this way and expect to have games played this fall and winter. Will games get played? Yes, obviously. But I think the volume of games is going to continue to get canceled. Think about college basketball. Think about the number of of airplane rides and bus rides and hotels. You're playing two games a week. You're playing on top of two games a week. You're staying, one of them's on the road. So once a week, you're going on the road. As opposed to college football, where from September 1st to December 1st, you might go on the road three times. You're going on the road once a week in college basketball once conference play starts. And this isn't getting better. Because again, it's cold and flu season. And so I don't know what the answer is, but I know something has to change. And it was funny because I mentioned a minute ago, I was talking you know, to uh, somebody in college athletics on Wednesday afternoon. We were kind of just talking like, does anyone just, just, just bite the bullet and say enough is enough, right? Like, does any conference commissioner just say, look, we respect people's health. We, we worry, we're concerned, this, that. But we got to move on with life because we can't proceed like this forever. And I'm just curious what happens next. And I would say on top of that, it's only going to get worse again as we enter the winter and as we as more people are together for longer periods of time uh, in a time where people are already getting sick. Right. Like that's a thing. I think I've mentioned it on this podcast before, but the number one, you know what the number one concern of college basketball coaches over the winter is? over the winter months, it's not players partying. It's not players having too much fun. This is obviously pre-COVID I'm talking about. It's the flu. And I'm just telling you right now, if we had the COVID policies for the flu that we do for COVID, we would never have college basketball. Like the college basketball season would cease to exist if every player who caught the flu had to be out for 14 days and anyone who who, uh, was near that person tested po- or, or was uh, was contact tracing as well. And so I'll just wrap by saying this, man. I don't know what the next steps are, but I am genuinely curious 
because I do think it is going to have long-term ramifications. I talked about the college basketball season, but what about the rest of football season? Like, let's just go back to football for a second, right? First of all, there's a really good chance that LSU-Bama, one of the marquee games on the entire schedule of college football, just doesn't get played. These two teams don't have a mutual bye week again until December 19th, which is the weekend of the SEC championship game. Alabama is going to be there, and so LSU-Bama might not get played. Now, as a credit to Greg Sankey, two things. One, something I've been talking about since August, he waited until September 26th, but he also built in an extra week into the schedule to have games late in the year. So for example, Texas A&M Tennessee was moved to December 12th. He also left open the possibility that games could be played on December 19th, which would be the weekend of the SEC championship game. But say, um, you know, South Carolina, Tennessee, I guess they already played, but fill in the blank versus fill in the blank. They can't play. They could, in theory, play December 19th. He also left open the idea of shuffling around other schedules, which has already happened. If you remember, uh, Kentucky played Missouri, I believe, uh, a week ahead of schedule to, to kind of flip the schedule so that all the games could get in. But we're at the point now where we're going to miss some games in the SEC. And I'm just going to tell you straight up, I think the Big Ten has major problems because if you remember, the Big Ten only had eight weeks of scheduled games. The ninth week is the conference championship, and you have to play at least six games to qualify for the conference championship, right? That's the Big Ten's rule. That's what they decided upon. Well, Purdue's already missed a game. Wisconsin's already missed two games, one game, two games. I can't even remember. Wisconsin's already missed a game. Two games. They missed two games. So first of all, Wisconsin's got to get in every other game the rest of the year or their season's done before it even starts. But how about Ohio State? And this is something I've talked about forever, but it's coming to life in real time. I said, Ohio State can do everything right. As Zach Smith, the college football analyst, former Ohio State assistant, told you on this podcast, he said, Ohio State has basically created a bubble on campus. Ryan Day does not leave the facility at Ohio State. The players basically are all taking online classes. But part of it is, not only does Ohio State need to get lucky and not have positives, they also need to make sure their opponents don't have positives either. Well, guess what? Maryland game this week is canceled. Do some math. They had eight games on the schedule. They're down to seven. Next week gets canceled. Another game gets canceled. They might not qualify for the Big Ten championship game, then what do you do? What do you do if you're the Big Ten and Ohio State has never had a a positive test all year or has never had to shut down all year but doesn't qualify for the Big Ten championship game? Uh, I had somebody, uh, I saw this on Twitter, but Ohio State plays Indiana next week. Indiana, of course, is probably the second best team in the Big Ten East outside Ohio State. What if Indiana starts claiming, quote unquote, that they have an outbreak, don't play Ohio State, and all of a sudden Ohio State can't get in enough games for the Big Ten championship game. It's just a fascinating thought, but these are the realities. This is what happened with the Big Ten when the Big Ten decided, we're going to wait till October 23rd, and we're going to show everybody how seriously we're taking this. And oh, by the way, we're not going to build in any conference uh, extra bye weeks to make up games. Well, guess what? Wisconsin's down to six games max heading into that final weekend. Ohio State has seven now, could be down to six. What happens then? I'm just telling you, this is not good. I don't have the answers. I understand there's a lot of highly paid people that have a lot of really tough decisions to make, but I'm just telling you, man, this contact tracing thing is real, and it ain't getting any better anytime soon as cold weather comes in, as flu season comes in, 
as college basketball, when we have a ton of traveling comes in, it's going to be a very, very interesting couple months in college basketball, college athletics in general, and I'm very curious to see what happens going forward. All right, I do want to, there's not very many games on the field to talk about this weekend, but I guess we should talk about a few of them. Um, LSU-Bama was obviously the big one. I'm not going to lie, I'm pretty bummed there's no LSU-Bama because of the fact that uh, for people who do not know, the game was scheduled for 6 p.m. Eastern time, and it was scheduled to follow the Masters on CBS, which is, of course, you know, one of the great sporting events of the year. It gets pushed back to this weekend. And all of a sudden, uh, we're supposed to have a, a, a Saturday afternoon where we go straight from Augusta with Augusta with Jim Nance. Sorry, this is how he talks. Hello, friends. Augusta with Jim Nance to Gary Danielson and Brad Nessler in Tuscaloosa. Instead, it doesn't happen. Um, and instead, I'm just very fascinated to, to, to see what this college football weekend looks like because there is no Alabama-LSU, which I would argue is the marquee matchup. Oh, by the way, Ohio State is now not playing. They were supposed to play Maryland. Clemson has a bye week built in. So the three top teams or three of the top four teams with Notre Dame aren't playing. And then after that, you got A&M, who's a playoff contender. They're not playing. BYU's off the schedule because uh, they just didn't have a game scheduled. But A&M's game is canceled. Say what you want about Auburn. They're at least kind of interesting. Their game's canceled. Georgia's canceled. So the number of games that are really on and interesting is very, very, very limited. So let's talk about the few games that are going to get played. And I can't believe I'm doing this. The most interesting game on the schedule, I can't believe I'm saying this, is Michigan-Wisconsin. And I've spent so much time talking about Michigan, I promise I'm not going down the Harbaugh road again. All I know is what I told you on Monday's episode. I've watched almost every snap of every Michigan game, and I can tell you definitively... I don't think they do a single thing at an elite Power 5 level. I don't even think they do anything necessarily at an above-average Power 5 level. They can't pass the ball. Their receivers can't catch. Uh, their offensive line can't block. Maybe their running backs are good, but when you have no downfield passing threat and when your receivers can't catch and your running backs can't block, I don't know how you go about moving the football on the ground. So we got that situation. Then on defense, they can't defend anybody through the passing game. The, the D-line can't get any pressure on the quarterback. And so I don't really know what to make of, of Michigan. You'd think, you'd hope that they'd be competitive with Wisconsin because Wisconsin is coming off two straight weeks where they haven't played. They didn't practice for two weeks in the lead-up to, to this week. Now, they did practice this week, but the question is still, Graham Mertz, that star freshman quarterback who was so good on opening night of the Big Ten, as I'm recording Wednesday night, we still don't even know if he's going to play. And so as I bring all this up, all I'm trying to say is, is that, man, like, I, I don't know what to make of this game at all, but with Michigan-Wisconsin, talk about a stay away. I don't trust Michigan at all. They're about a four-point underdog at home, but Wisconsin might still be down to their four-string quarterback. So that is the big breakdown of that game, is I got no idea what the hell is going to happen in that game, but that is probably, sadly, the marquee game of the weekend. Uh, because Alabama, LSU, and a couple of the other SEC games are canceled. do want to stay in the Big Ten for a minute, because how about this? How about this? Your grandma, your, your grandpa rolling over in his grave. This is, this is not your grandpa's uh, college football that he remembers, okay? Penn State at Nebraska, Penn State 0-3, Nebraska 0-2, uh, and it's crazy. It's crazy. So I was thinking about this as I was kind of looking at this game and thinking about this game. 
The first year that I really got into college football was the 1994 season, okay? Anyone who's a college football historian, I vividly remember 1994 opening up the TV guide. Remember TV guide? The thing you used to get at the supermarket that would have everything because there was no uh, guide on your TV. You had to go to the supermarket, get something called the TV guide, and it told you it was on every channel at every time during the day. I remember looking at the uh, big, <laughs> the, the, the TV guide bowl preview that year. Uh, number two, Penn State was playing in the Rose Bowl against Oregon. Number one, Nebraska playing in the Orange Bowl against Miami. I vividly remember this. And I vividly remember asking my mom, why doesn't number one just play number two? And she didn't have an answer. God bless her. Mom, you're still listening to this show. I love you. You didn't have an answer back in 94. But I bring it up because 26 years later, what is going on in college football? Nebraska winless. Penn State winless. Both stink. I don't trust either one. Uh, But I do think, first of all, somebody's got to get a win. So that's a positive. Positive vibes only on this show. Glasses half full only on this show. Uh, it is an interesting game, right? Because I think we're getting very close to the breaking point with Scott Frost where he keeps putting out that kid, Adrian Martinez, out there quarterback, out there quarterback, out there quarterback, and he isn't the answer. I'm just telling you, he ain't the answer, okay? Every week it's a new excuse. Oh, he's hurt. Oh, he's this. Oh, he's that. Oh, the O-line did this. Oh, the receivers did that. At a certain point, he's just not very good. And I'm kind of starting to think that... Um, you know, if Scott Frost doesn't make a move soon and at least give Luke McCaffrey, who is uh, Christian McCaffrey's brother, a shot, I think he might lose the whole locker room because Adrian Martinez ain't the answer. Uh, by the way, in the game against Northwestern two days ago, uh, how about this for a stat line? 12 of 27, zero touchdowns, one interception. He ain't the answer, Scott Frost. I'm not saying I'm Vince Lombardi. I'm just telling you, I'm not a football guru, okay? It's not a beautiful mind over here with Torres. But what I am telling you, Adrian Martinez is not the answer. 57% completion this year, 59% completion last year. He's getting worse every single year. Well, they finally put in Luke McCaffrey. Give him a shot. Penn State, how about them? 0-3 gets steamrolled by Maryland last week. Uh, I will defend Penn State. I do think that call against Indiana in overtime was kind of bogus. So I do think that Penn State, um, I do think that Penn State is probably a little bit better than the one and two record indicates. Thought they played Ohio State tough, even though Ohio State was very clearly the superior team. And it's obviously been a tough year for Penn State, right? Uh, Journey Brown, their star running back, just announced right before I started broadcasting this show that uh, he is his career is done, that he will no longer be playing college football or football at all because of a heart issue. Very scary. Obviously, it's great that it was caught uh, before anything scary happened. But Penn State caught it. It was not COVID-related, but he has a heart issue. He will not be able to play. Penn State's best defensive player uh, is out for the season, Micah Parsons, who opted out. So it's just been kind of one thing after the other after the other at Penn State. Uh, But they're not very good. Nebraska certainly isn't very good, and I don't know what to make of this game. Three SEC games on, on the slate. Arkansas at Florida. Uh, really interesting game because Arkansas, we're actually going to talk a little bit about Sam Pittman with Coach Muss here in a minute, uh, but Arkansas plays so hard for Sam Pittman, right? And that was one thing Coach Muss said is like the respect that he sees the players have for Coach Pittman and his staff, uh, it's a trickle-down effect. And what happens without Sam Pittman on the sidelines, I do not know, but I'm just saying, like you talk about a game that I have no idea what's going to happen. 
I thought Arkansas was going to be able to keep it close. With no Sam Pittman, it could go one of two ways, right? Either the team rallies and says, let's win this one for coach. Let's keep this one close, close for coach. Or the opposite, and they, they're just the steam is taken out of them without Sam Pittman on the sideline. No idea what to expect from that game. Uh, uh, South Carolina, Ole Miss. All I'm saying is this. South Carolina, the, the Crows are starting to circle over Will Muschamp. Uh, not the Crows, the Vultures, the Vultures. Because he's a dead man walking. I don't know if it'll be this year or next year. We talked a lot about um, we talked a lot about Kiff or uh, Muschamp potentially leaving, Hugh Freeze, all that stuff. Last episode, go back and listen to that. But I will say, you know, it ain't good for Will Muschamp. They're playing at Ole Miss. Uh, and Ole Miss really, honestly, coming off a bye, they looked pretty good the week before the, the they went to a bye. So I'm very curious to see how that goes. Another game I won't be betting. And then Vandy, Kentucky, another just complete stay away. Um for the very simple reason that Vandy is dealing with all sorts of COVID issues. They had opt-outs. They're at just about the breaking point in terms of the number of players that they have. You'd hope that Kentucky would win this one going away, uh, but uh, I'll be curious to see what happens there. No gambling picks this week, by the way. I'll still post them at AaronTorresOnline.com, but with all the, the, the moving and shaking, I decided to wait until later in the week. And let's be honest, the picks haven't been very good the last couple weeks anyway. So it's not as though you guys are waiting on them, unless, of course, you're waiting to bet against them, which I can't blame you one bit. Uh, but no gambling picks as of right now. All right, last topic before we get to Coach Muss. And I think it's a good time to, uh, to get to this is uh, I want to talk some college basketball, right? So Coach Muss is obviously coming on, and it only kind of makes sense to transition from college football to college basketball. And there is really one story that is worth mentioning as it pertains to college basketball, and that is um, that is the, the situation with Greg Marshall, right? And we talked about it a few weeks ago, and it is reaching a boiling point as we get pretty close to the start of the season here. But essentially, what you need to know is this. Greg Marshall has been... Um, you know, under investigation by the school. For people who forget, I'll try to do the very, very brief rundown, but it is a laundry list of allegations from a report via Jeff Goodman. Um, and it goes beyond coaches mean, coach yells, coach swears, coach calls us names to Greg Marshall was accused of punching Shaq Morris, who was a player on the teams from like 2013 to 2016, somewhere in that range, not 2013 because that was the NBA Final I think it was like... 14 to 17. He's accused of punching Shaq Morris. Uh, multiple players are on the record as saying, yeah, that happened. And then on top of that, Greg Marshall was also accused of choking one of his assistant coaches. Uh, not ideal. And so it seemed like since this report came out, uh, Greg Marshall was walking on thin ice, right? And, and, and for people who are kind of confused, why did they just suspend him? Why did they do this? Why did they do that? Well, they certainly could have suspended him. But at the end of the day, the reason they could not fire him is because the school needed to do its own investigation, right? I know that in the Twitter, social media world, oh, everybody's got to be fired. and uh. Well, the reality remains that there are lawyers involved and contracts involved, and you can't just fire somebody based off an accusation. But what I told you when all this came out, and what I'll tell you again, is you know, Jeff Goodman's a really good reporter, one. And two, when you not only have a player accusing a coach of this, but you have eight other people in the gym confirming that it happened the way that he said it happened, 
there was not a very good chance that Greg Marshall was going to survive this. And so the reason I'm bringing it up is because the update is that Jeff Goodman reported late Tuesday that Greg Marshall will be out um, maybe as early as Wednesday. It has not happened as I record here. It's about 8 o'clock Eastern time. Has not happened yet, but could happen as early as Thursday, maybe even Wednesday night. And by the time you guys listen to it, he might be fired. But inevitably, it appears as though the hammer is coming down on Greg Marshall. And really, there's not much else to say other than what I just said. I think the school did everything right uh, other than allowing him to kind of do this. And I think anybody who listens to this show kind of knows, like, you know, when a story like this comes out, I don't like to jump in and this guy needs to be fired. Let's wait till the facts come out. Let's look at both sides. And listen, there have been plenty of instances where a coach has been completely out of control, but there have also been a bunch of incidents where a player accuses a coach of something. We get the facts and we find out, yeah, that's not really how it happened. But what I've told you from the beginning is exactly what I've said now once or twice since I started this conversation about Greg Marshall, and that is very simply exactly what I said is that with due respect to Greg Marshall, with due respect to, to the process and waiting it out, when you have a player not only accuse you of this kind of stuff, but eight players confirm it, that's not a player making something up. That happened the way that he said it happened, and it felt like it was only a matter of if and not when, and it appears as though we've hit the when portion of this, and frankly, I don't blame Wichita State for doing it in the manner they did. First of all, as I said a minute ago, you have to let the process play out. You have to do the internal investigation because when you fire him, you do not want to owe him a penny. You want to say, yo, you breached your contract, you broke the rules, you did what these guys accused you of doing, and we're not going to owe you a single penny to get out of here. If you just fire them without doing the due diligence, lawyers get involved, you could end up having to pay Greg Marshall his full buyout, which is like $15 million or something like that. Um, and so that's why this happened the way that it did. But also, I think Wichita State wanted to wrap up this investigation before the start of the season so that every time Wichita State goes on the road, uh, every time Wichita State goes on the road, they're not asked a million questions about this. Now, in terms of what's next, very briefly, let me see this. Um, as soon as the, the, the Jeff Goodman report came out, uh, Seth Davis came out with his own report, basically said that Wichita State has already targeted Thad Mata and wants Thad Mata to be its head coach almost immediately, okay? Um, and look, like Seth is good at what he does too, right? But um, I didn't really buy it. And by Tuesday, Wednesday, or excuse me, Wednesday morning, there was already conflicting reports about whether Thad Mata would take it. Uh, and I just don't see it happening. I don't see it happening right now, right? So Thad Mata, my understanding of things is, by the way, former Ohio State coach, two Final Fours, national championship game, Greg Oden, all that stuff. But Thad Mata, uh, one, is right now uh, at a retirement home in Florida, warm weather, nice, whatever. To, to give that up in the middle of November, a week before the start of the season, to come up to Wichita with a group of players you don't know, a city you don't know, a fan base you don't know, a group of boosters you don't know, an AD you don't know, it felt a little presumptuous. Uh, I'm not saying Thad Mata shouldn't be a candidate. I'm not saying he wouldn't consider it in the offseason, but call me, um, I don't believe that it's going to happen right now. Maybe I'm wrong, and maybe by the time you listen to this, Thad Mata's been named the long-term head coach. I don't believe it's going to happen because it's a real tough thing to jump into right now this second, and on top of it, Thad Mata has some real health issues. The reason he retired from Ohio State is essentially because he could not travel 
uh, the travel demands of coaching college basketball were too much for him between traveling and recruiting. And so because of it, he got out of college basketball. And so because of that, I just don't see it happening right now. Now, what do I think Wichita State should do? I actually don't think they should hire uh, Thad Mott at all, and I'll tell you why. If Greg Marshall gets fired for cause, which means that he is found guilty of doing what he's accused of doing, you don't owe him a single penny, okay? You owe him nothing. And so it's not going to be like firing another coach for bad performance on the court or on the field where you have to pay him a buyout and then pay the new coach, right? Like Will Muschamp gets fired at South Carolina. South Carolina owes him a boatload of money and then they got to pay the new guy. Wichita, if Greg Marshall gets fired with cause, you don't owe him a penny. So now you have a job where you are paying your coach $3 million a year that's available and you can pay the next guy $3 million a year. So why are you going to rush into a shotgun marriage with Thad Mata in the middle of November where you don't know if he's healthy enough to do this, he doesn't know if he's healthy enough to do this, he doesn't know the roster, he doesn't know the players, etc., or you can wait, you can go into an offseason where essentially no one else will be replacing a coach because these uh, issues uh, financially with these athletic departments, they're not getting any better, right? Now, could some of these FBI coaches get fired? Could a Sean Miller, could a Will Wade be fired between now and the start of next season or the start of the offseason? Absolutely. At the same time, though, I think you have to look at it from the bigger picture and sit here and say, there's a very good chance that Wichita is going to be the only major program hiring a new head coach next offseason. And they're not going to owe the last guy anything. They paid the last guy $3 million a year, and they can make a very attractive financial offer to the next guy. And I think you're going to attract a lot of really good candidates to that job because it's a job that, first of all, pays $3.5 million a year. You're in a good enough conference. You have an advantage, by the way, over basically everybody in that conference. You could argue that maybe Memphis is a better job than Wichita. Maybe Cincinnati's a better job than Wichita, but that's really about it. Houston's good, but they don't have the support that Wichita has. Wichita is the the major league, Wichita State basketball is the major league sports team of that city. The city loves the team and the program, and I think it's a really good job, and I don't think you have to rush into anything, because I think if you wait until the offseason and nobody else is looking for a new head coach, you're going to have a lot of good candidates. You're going to have all the mid-majors, You're going to have anybody like John Beeline that's out of a job right now. Do I think John Beeline necessarily wants the Wichita State job? I don't. But if nothing else opens and he wants to get back into coaching, Wichita might be the only choice John Beeline has. Um, You also get, by the way, some coach at some high major school that's maybe just looking to start over. Maybe they don't like their AD. Maybe they don't like, uh, maybe they know they're about to get fired, right? Like, this is just a crazy hypothetical, and I'm not saying it's going to happen. But we've heard for a few years that Shaka Smart could be interested in the right job if it opened up. In large part, it's because he wants to get out of Texas before Texas fires him, right? It's like the old Tubby Smith leaves Kentucky to go to Minnesota. It's not because Minnesota's a better job. It's because he knows if he stayed in Kentucky for one more year, he ends up getting fired. So you could get somebody like that who is looking for a fresh start somewhere else, Young assistant, young head coach, mid-major coach, hot assistant, you know, NBA retread, John Beeline, plenty of good options, but I just don't see the idea of rushing into the next head coach, but it appears as though, as I record, that Greg Marshall on the verge of being fired. All right, I think that's it for this segment of the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. Obviously, a really, really fun interview 
with uh, Arkansas head coach Will Musch. Uh, Will Musch. Will Muschamp. I just said Will Muschamp. Really good interview. Coach Muss, not Muschamp. Coach Muss. Eric, I can't believe I did that. Uh, all right. Let me start that over in real time. Great episode of the show, blah, blah, blah. Torres is amazing, blah, blah, blah. Now, it's time to get to head coach Eric Musselman, University of Arkansas. As I said, um, it's a really good interview. I think it's really interesting. I think you'll really enjoy it. I don't think you need to be an Arkansas fan to enjoy the interview. We talk just about the world of college basketball right now. What's it like to practice? What's it like to play? How's it going to be to travel? What is the difference between this year and previous years? Uh, All that kind of fun stuff. So listen for Eric Musselman coming up. Before we get out of here, make sure you're subscribed to the show, iTunes, the Podcast Addict app, Podbean, Spotify, TuneIn Radio. Make sure you're subscribed to the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. Make sure to rate and review the show. Go ahead, give us a quick five stars. Follow us on social media uh, at Aaron Torres Pod on Instagram, at Aaron Torres Pod on Twitter, uh, YouTube channel blowing up, uh, Facebook, Aaron Torres Writer. And if you have any questions for the show, Aaron Torres Podcast Questions at gmail.com. Aaron Torres Podcast Questions at gmail.com. That is all for this segment of the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. Shout out to Torrent Craig. Shout out to Rachel Who Hates My Voice. And now. The head coach, University of Arkansas, Eric Musselman. All right, joining me via Zoom. Uh, had him on a few times now. We've done this quite a bit. Head coach, Arkansas, needs no introduction. Second season, just trying to get in a season, but positive vibes only. Coach Muss, Eric Musselman, what's going on, man? How you doing? I'm doing great, AT. Thanks so much for having me on. Well, thank you for coming on. Uh, and I think the last two, three years, you and I have talked on the podcast before the season. Um, and this is obviously, look, it's, it's different. It's unprecedented. But like I said, positive vibes only. You know, there was so much uncertainty there in March, April, May, whatever. How good has it been just the last few weeks? I know you. I know you're a structure, schedule, discipline guy. How nice is it just to have a pseudo-normal schedule where you get to practice play, even if, unfortunately, maybe a guy or two is missing here or there? Yeah, I mean, we just want to play. I mean, you make a great point. I mean, we went through uh, – we've really uh, – we've had one pause, um, you know, where we pause for a week or whatever. Um, but for the most part, we've been able to uh, have a, a, a pretty normal situation with us um, you know, other than one, one time frame when, when, when we had a, a segment of our group um, get COVID. Um, but we, we've, we've had normal practices, our, t- our, our time, um, you know, we've been going a normal time frame. What we did the other day, Aaron, is we took all of our defensive schemes, all of our offensive schemes, uh, half court sets after free throw attack, uh, different defenses, um, three different pick and roll defensive coverages, and we added up where we are right now compared to the four normal years of being a head coach in college. And we're actually two half court sets ahead. We're one baseline out of bounds behind. Uh, we've added one defensive concept that we hadn't had. So we're actually exactly on par with where we would normally be. And that's kind of the way that we've structured practice. Um, and then Coach Ruda even broke it down to the hours, how many hours we've spent on defense, how many hours we've spent on our special team situations, 
meaning jump ball, free throw, um, those type of things. And it's very little difference right now. It might be five minutes more uh, on offense, and maybe we're 22 minutes behind on defense. So uh, we're trying to time this thing up so that opening night we have basically the packages that we've had in it during a normal year. So what has allowed you guys to do that, considering it? I, I think there was less time over the summer and the fall. Are you doing more virtual, or what has allowed you to kind of stay on schedule? Because that's kind of incredible to hear, honestly. Yeah, well, we've added um, segments to our practice of teaching and implementation. And maybe we've taken away some live segments, so to speak. So we felt that, one, we want to try to get to the finish line, meaning through this training camp segment, we're, uh, we're you know, as healthy as we possibly can. Um, and so when you want to be healthy, sometimes that means backing off of live segments or not having you know, a lot of full court segments. Um, and so we've tried to do our breakdown stations where we're implementing concepts, maybe five on O more than, than maybe in the past, we might've used three on O or two on O breakdown stations. So, but from a scheme standpoint, we didn't want to feel like we were handcuffed going into game one. What has your message to your guys been? I mean, they, you know, you guys fortunately were able to bring back your guys pretty much from the beginning, but Obviously, look, we're in an unprecedented time, and it sounds like, for the most part, knock on wood, things have gone good. Um, but it is obviously – it's a different preseason, but it's also a different social experience for your players once they leave your facility and all that. What has your message been to them to make sure that you do get to the finish line of the season and then, and then eventually the finish line of the actual season finishing up in March? I, I think the big thing is just continue to educate um, every single day, talk about social distancing. Every single day, talk about wearing a mask. Um, unfortunately, um, you know, like you, my son got COVID, and, and uh, he probably wears a mask uh, more than anyone in the office. Um, and sometimes you can do all the right things and still get this thing because you might not know where it came from. And um, you know, I've been on social media wearing a, mask, a different sports mask every, every day. But just because you wear the mask and, and you try to, you know, do everything right doesn't mean it's going to happen. And certainly when you talk about student athletes on a college campus, um, you really do have to be as self-disciplined as possible. But sometimes even the most self-disciplined people can end up with COVID. So you just never know. And, and uh, if somebody does have to miss practice. Maybe someone's got a symptom for one day um, and he's got to go get tested and come, the test comes back and he doesn't have it. It might just be a normal cold. You know, as a coach, you've just got to be flexible and move with, with whoever's available on that particular day. Do you um, at all, you know, one thing I know being around your programs is, you know, you preach competitiveness and every day you're competing for your job. You don't ever want anybody to get sick, but is that one of your messages to maybe a young guy? Hey, fill in the blank is out today. He might be out for two weeks quarantining. You want this opportunity. This was presented to you kind of the way, you know, whatever the circumstance was that you got the opportunity, it's here. Or are you going to take advantage of it? Yeah, we all know if, – if, if you don't know the Wally Pipp story, you know, it's a, it's, it's a good one to go read because obviously, um, you know, the mentality or, or you take a minor league mentality, like a G League mentality, when a guy gets called up, that means new opportunity for somebody else. And um, all, everybody's replaceable, you know. I mean, that's just kind of how it is. If, 
if, if I get COVID, Coach Patrick's got to step up and the rest of the coaching staff's got to step up um, for that time frame. And if a player is out with an injury or out with a sickness, somebody else gets a new opportunity. And that's why, you, you know, to me right now, um, roles are going to constantly fluctuate. They're going to constantly change. And you've got to be ready. You've got to put yourself in game mode every single day you walk into the building. I was thinking about this. You mentioned the G League, the minor league. You know, we've seen in football a lot where a football game might get canceled on a Monday or a Tuesday, and a football team might have to reschedule and play on Saturday, a team that wasn't on their schedule. You, you know, you live that life. I mean, do you think your background at all matters at a time like this where, you know, you might be scheduled to play Tennessee on a Saturday, they cancel, but Vandy's available because their opponent canceled and you got to play Vandy on two days notice. I mean, have you given it that much thought? Because I was kind of thinking about your background might uniquely suit you for this season. Yeah, I think it does actually. Um, Aaron, I think, you know, I, like when I talk to other coaching friends at other programs and they're kind of complaining about stuff and it's like, come on, dude, like we're going to practice. Let's, let's, yeah. let's go down there and get better. And um, I don't think that you can uh, worry about what's going to happen tomorrow. I think you got to just go coach your team today. If you're a player, you got to, you got to do your academics, handle that the best you can, because that's all new with all the virtual academic things. And that presents a problem for some student athletes. And even, even my younger son, Matthew, at the University of San Diego, it's much more difficult for him to take a virtual class because um, it requires self-discipline rather than going into a classroom and there's face interaction with the professor. Um, but I, I think certainly with, with, with coaching right now, regardless of sport, Come on, man. We get an opportunity to go hit the floor. Let's go hit it. Let's have some fun and let's get after it. Yeah, no, I mean, I've taken the same approach. Uh, you know, when sports came back in August and we went from nothing to everything in a week, uh, it was overwhelming at first, but you're like, shit, dude, there's some games on. I'm fired up. Let's watch <laughs> some games. So, all right. So for people who uh, listen, we're going to have a ton of Arkansas fans listen to this. I know they've spent all off season breaking down the depth chart, looking at the depth chart. But for people who aren't as familiar with your roster, obviously a ton of new faces, but a ton of talent. I mean, what, what do people need to know about this version of the Razorbacks as opposed to maybe watching last year? Well, certainly I think we're a work in progress, AT. And we don't – like, what is our identity? I don't really know. Um, who is our go-to player? I don't really know. Um, but I do think that stuff starts to evolve as well. Um, one, the, you know, the one area that I don't quite feel as comfortable with is uh, knowing each other as people off the yes. floor, both teammates, coaching staff, because of COVID. And you're not allowed to have the whole team really over to your house to have a barbecue. And um, so I think that's, that's made this thing problematic. And then when you start looking on your road trips, well, you want to shorten the length of time you're on the road. How are you going to eat on the road? Um, all those things are part of your discussion as well. And does that also take away from team bonding? In other words, when you land in an opposing city, are you going to take two buses instead of one? Well, that's another time frame where you get to know each other and laugh and and, and so there's just all these different things that are coming up that you've got to try to think about uh, who we are as a team, getting back to that. Uh, we got four freshmen, uh, three grad transfers, 
uh, a couple guys back from last year um, in Desi Sills and, and Ethan Henderson. Um, and then we have obviously some guys that sat out last year, J.D. Note, Connor Vanover. So we've got these different fragments all trying to come together. Um, we're going to have a, a, a scrimmage this week. Um, you know, that'll be live streamed and that'll give the guys an opportunity to get into Bud Walton and compete. But I think our, our, our roles are evolving. Some of the things we've done, AT, this uh, preparation as opposed to some of the others, every single time a player takes a shot in practice, it's charted. Every time we go live, it's charted, full stats. Even if it's a three-minute pick-and-roll segment where we're going – our defensive coverage against our pick and roll offense, that's charted um, because I, I want the players to kind of, hey, and I send them the stats every, after every practice. They get every single stat um, because I think the natural thing is, hey, we have so much depth, and, um, but, but still you got you to gotta form roles um, to have a basketball team. So I want to bounce back to what you said about kind of the off the court stuff, because that's one thing that you've always emphasized um, in your program. And I remember last time we spoke, which was the middle of the summer, middle of the pandemic, you were hosting a post last dance uh, watch party uh, conversations and all that stuff. But how are you finding that balance of just, you know, it, it really is crazy, but just getting the guys to know each other because you have, you know, literally in your program, you have guys ranging from 22, 23, been in college for four years to 18 years old that have never lived outside of mom and dad's house. And I know they've been on campus three, four months now, but, but how have you guys been doing it? Because it's, it's one of those things that I don't think anybody really thinks about, but basketball is a team game. It helps if the five guys on the court like each other, know each other, trust each other. And obviously that process, not just at Arkansas, but every year is a lot tougher than it usually is. Yeah. I, you know, I think just the bonding, like, you know, we went to top golf and um, you know, cause it's outside and you can kind of spread out. So we've just tried to come up uh, with different ideas like that. I have had, um, you know, like segments or group of guys over, um, you know, for instance, I had the freshmen over um, on Halloween just to kind of hang out, uh, watch Coach Pittman's football game. They were on the road that night. Um, you know, we, we got to have some, you know, some food, watch our team play, um, talk, pass out candy. So, um, you know, I think like for us, it's, it's, it's got to be, you know, you got to get creative on the floor and you also have to get creative from a team bonding standpoint as well. How'd you hit him at Top Golf? You don't strike me as a golfer, so that's why I got to ask. AT, I'm so bad in golf. I've never played it, but you know what? Um, I'm not that bad. Oh, come on. Look at, look at you, little sick brag. No, I've never picked up a stick, but, you know, I was hitting it 280 right down the fairway. Yeah, go ahead. I'm, I'm not that bad. I actually, before we went with our team, uh, Coach Brad, our golf co uh, coach, uh, we, oh, okay. took, we took we took our wives and I went with Brad and he gave me some, you know, some helpful tips. And then I went with the team because obviously I don't want to embarrass myself in front of our guys. I'm not that bad after a sit down with the golf coach. OK, I got the scoop of that. No, it's crazy because I worked at a golf and, our, and our golf team is 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 pretty impressive, too. They They, they are studs. That's really funny. No, I worked at a golf course for three years when I was in college and I got worse every year. And it is crazy, by the way, 
golf pro helped me one day. I was hitting him straight down the fairway, you know, felt like freaking tiger over there. And then, uh, <laughs> you know, next thing I know he leaves and 10 minutes later, I'm shanking him to the right. So anyway, yeah, you don't, you just, you don't strike me as a guy that's going to spend all summer long, uh, you know, on the tee box and, uh, you know, on the 19th hole letting loose, you know, so that's why I had to ask. So. Yeah. And the problem is I, I live, where I live right now is the Blessings Golf Course. They just had the SEC tournament uh, on the Blessings. Last year, the men's and women's NCAA championship was on the Blessings Golf Course. I literally live in this neighborhood with one of the most beautiful golf courses in the country. And then I grew up right above La Jolla yep. Country Club and a few Ooh. miles from Torrey Pines. So you would think that I would golf, but somehow I found my way to La Jolla Rec Center and, and, and played pickup ball instead of hitting the golf ball. Were you the only one there just by yourself, just, just shooting, yeah. shagging? Because everybody else got to be on the course or at the beach, man. Yeah, people were either surfing or golfing, and I'm out there all alone, La Jolla Rec Center, just shagging balls on the blacktop. I could see you, the Pete Maravich, uh, behind the back passes to a square on the wall, all that stuff for, for days on end, but... <laughs> Uh, what else? I mean, so like we're literally entering such an unprecedented season. Uh, by the way, I would ask, how's my boy Anthony Ruta holding up? Because, you know, this is the guy that puts together your schedule. It's been start stop. And, you know, something I've talked about on this podcast with other people and, you know, kind of in the broader context of college basketball is the out of conference is so challenging because, you know, different leagues have different testing policies. Some people think that your league is not your league as the SEC, but you know, an opponent's league, you're not testing enough. You're testing too much. We're only going to test on this day. You got to test on that day. And so it obviously it's created all sorts of chaos, but you know, the schedule's out. It came together. The SEC uh, announced their schedule. Is it just good to know at least as of now who you're playing when you're playing again to get back to some semblance of normalcy? No, no question. I mean, getting back to Coach Ruta, uh, I mean, we had some unbelievable conversations because, you know, the first thing is strength of schedule. So he's done an incredible job of putting us in a position to be an at-large team really for five straight years. Mm -hmm. um, you know, the first year at Nevada, we were not good enough to be an at-large team. Um, but from a schedule standpoint, you know, we did not win the Mountain West tournament a couple years and had to get in as an at-large team at a, you know, at a, as a mid-major, which is not easy. Um, and even last year, our strength of schedule, having a game at Indiana um, that we won, having a game at Georgia Tech uh, that we won, those games put us at least in the conversation to be an at-large. And this year, we took a different approach. Our approach was, how do we just get games in? And let's forget all the nonsense about computer rankings and all, all that. How do we get the teams that are the closest to us that can be good teams? For instance, a team like North Texas that we think is a really good team that has a chance to win their league. Um, so we want to we try to have as strong a schedule as we can, but to try to do that AT where people can get here on buses and you limit the risk of losing a game. No, it's, it's been surreal to watch, and I'm, I'm glad everything's, uh, 
you know, everything's kind of set up. What, what do you make of the SEC? Have you had a chance to look? I mean, there is so much talent in that league. And, you know, you've been through it now year one. Some of the teams return a lot. Some of the teams don't, but they recruit really well. Just your overall impressions of the league after one year and, and going into another year where there's a lot of really, really talented ball clubs. Well, I mean, the SEC every night is, is difficult to win, whether you're home or road. Um, a lot of well-coached teams. Um, you know, the league's got length. The league has shooting. Um, and each team kind of has their own identity and style of play. And, and so you've got to prepare your team uh, for different schemes. And, um, you know, I, I just think from a player's perspective, it's a player-friendly league um, because the style of play, teams get up and down. Um, I think it's the closest resemblance of a league to the NBA. I really do. As you watch other leagues across the country, um, I think our league plays the style that, that, that resembles professional basketball the most. And like I said, you look at the coaches in this league up and down, um, just some incredibly great X and O coaches. I was done talking hoops, but you just brought up something interesting. So you say stylistically it most resembles the NBA. Uh, I don't want to steal your recruiting pitch and give it to 13 other teams, but I'm guessing that's probably a pretty big sell when you get on Zooms and phone calls with kids. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that, you know, our background as a staff, you know, we have, we have so many people on staff from, you know, Coach Corey Williams played for the Chicago Bulls when they won the championship and, um, you know, I have a background of not just the NBA as a head coach, but also coaching in the G League, two different teams as a head coach and coaching in FIBA. Uh, so any area that a player is going to leave once he's done with college, I've kind of experienced those, which very few people in college basketball have actually done it. Um, and then Coach Mosier, same thing. Coach Mosier was an assistant for us in FIBA, um, assistant coach with the Lakers, um, you know, coached in the minor leagues as a head coach. Um, and then David Patrick has been with the Houston Rockets. And so we just have so many people on staff with the pro background. And even Coach Ruda was with Fort Wayne uh, Mad Ant. So um, a lot of people that have a background of pro basketball, uh, for sure, on our staff. A couple quick questions. We'll get you out of here. One, uh, we're recording here Tuesday the 10th. We'll run later this week, but next week's the NBA draft. And, um, you know, you, you got two guys that played for you last year that have a chance to hear their names called on next Wednesday or Thursday, whenever it is. Feels like a lifetime ago since we started this draft process. But uh, I know, like, certainly Isaiah Joe didn't leave under ideal circumstances, but I know you love him and Mason Jones. I mean, how excited are you about those guys starting the next chapter of their careers? Uh, you know, any thoughts on – how they fit in the NBA, because I, I think both with the way the NBA is going and the way each can kind of fill the basket in their own unique way uh, will have value to somebody in that league. Yeah, I don't think there's any doubt. I mean, we're happy for both those guys. I think that each player, you know, when they can, when they feel like it's the time is right for them to play pro basketball as a coaching staff and as a program, you've got to support those two guys or whoever it may be. Um, and, and just promote them as hard as you possibly can and, and sell their strengths to people in the NBA. Um, you know, we feel like both those guys are going to get drafted, which would be awesome for them individually. It would also be great for our program um, because those guys are underclassmen too. You know, you're not talking about 
players that are seniors, those guys have high upside, both of them. They both bring different things to the table. Isaiah Joe's a much underrated uh, team defender. He's an excellent defender. Obviously, he's got great shooting range. The NBA values the three ball so much. And then Mason Jones, a guy that we put the ball in his hands, an incredible creator off the bounce, an underrated passer. I look at Mason like he, he's, a, he's got some point guard skills, um, but a guy that can, you know, he, he led the nation in free throws attempted. And so when you think about the three ball and drawing fouls, two things that the analytics people that are running so many front offices right now, um, he provides that aspect. Um, so both guys, I think, got a great opportunity to get drafted and have great NBA careers. You know, one thing you and I always talk about uh, is the impact that other coaches have had on you, not just in basketball, but across sports. I remember you talking about Mike Lombardi, you know, with, when he was with the Raiders. You mentioned Sam Pittman, and obviously we're recording here a day after we find out that he won't be on the sidelines this weekend in Gainesville. But, I mean, the story of the Razorbacks football team is unbelievable. I mean, have you had much time? I mean, obviously – Given the circumstances, we're probably not spending as much time around others as we would like, but have you had a chance to pick his brain? Because that guy has been incredible through six games as the uh, Arkansas football coach. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, when you think about nationally in uh, college football right now, he's got to be up for national coach of the year. Uh, the way that he's turned around the program's absolutely insanely cool to watch. Um, they play so hard. They play with an incredible amount of passion. Uh, you can see the trust that the players have with the coaching staff. I mean, the trust and the bond. And then Coach Pittman's got this way about him that, that I mean, you just love him. You know, you can't help but, but love him. And, and um, I, you know, I can't wait for his press conferences for <laughs> something new, whether it's the jukebox, whether it's the yes, sir phrase. Um, you know, he's turned around. Um, you know, the perception amongst everybody in our state and, and, and this program, meaning our athletic program, what Hunter Juracek's done with the entire athletic program is incredible. I mean, Coach Van Horn with the baseball team, and I mentioned our golf team, both men's and women's, uh, incredible. Our soccer team um, just won the SEC. Uh, Colby Hale does an incredible job. Um, you know, with, with the women's soccer team and our, men, our women's basketball team is incredible. They're going to be a top 20 ranked team and has a chance to, to do incredible things this year. So there's a lot of winning that goes on on this campus and therefore it creates a little bit of internal pressure as well. Fantastic. Last quick question, I promise. The masks, you mentioned the masks. Where did that idea come from? For people who don't know, you're wearing a different team every week or every day, and it's across sports. And I meant to ask you that at the beginning, but I, I just I, I need some answers here. So, it's, It actually started with the Seattle Mariners. Okay. Um, somebody from the Mariners organization, uh, she sent me a mask and said, okay. you know, hey, we'd love to, you know, provide you with the Mariners mask. We hear you're a big San Diego Padre fan. Oh, okay, uh, and, okay. And so uh, the Mariners started it, and then a couple other MLB teams. I have some buddies. Um, one guy works with the Oakland A's organization. He sent me some A's uh, masks as well as shorts and a T-shirt. Um, so it went from the masks to also wearing T-shirts to now um, some WNBA teams have sent me not only a T-shirt but, but also a hoodie. Um, and it's been really cool. I mean – 
people have reached out to us. We've reached out to some other, uh, you know, organizations to try to help be a part of it. Um, it's helped with recruiting, meaning I can pick up the phone and start talking to someone in a different part of the United States about maybe, a, a, you know, a team that I've worn that's in their location. Um, it's all in fun. We're, we're having a blast with it. And I've met some some really cool people that I've been able to pick their brains on how they do things. It could be someone in a NFL organization that's in the front office and I can talk about marketing ideas. Uh, it could be a coach talking about, um, you know, like the Texas Rangers. I've had some incredible conversations with their minor league people. I've also been in contact with uh, Rags, uh, who is with the parent team. Um, and, is, and is one of the base coaches, just about philosophical things. And he grew up in Arkansas. Um, so it's, it's really spurred some great conversations that I think are gonna, is going to help us um, from a philosophical standpoint and also from marketing. Fantastic. Uh, I've taken up way too much of your time, as I always do, Coach. I always say I'm not going to do it, and then I do. So I apologize. You know what? When, you, when, when you have fun, it's, well, I could keep going with you for hours. There we go. All right. So I don't feel guilty. Uh, Eric Musselman, head coach, uh, University of Arkansas. Love doing this. I uh, cannot wait for you guys and for, frankly, everybody to get back on the court. But November 25th cannot come soon enough. Uh, coach Musk, just genuinely appreciate your time, my man. I appreciate it. Hey, T, we got to get you to Fayetteville, man. We got to get, get you to Bud Walton. 100% capacity. I got to be there when there's 100% capacity. So. All right, sounds good. Well, hopefully that day will come sometime soon. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.